This podcast does not constitute financial or investment advice. It is for educational, general information and entertainment purposes only. Please consult with your own financial advisor before making any financial decisions. It's hard to have a lot of things and feel okay to keep consuming when it's not good for our homes, you know, where do we put all this stuff? Our planet, I mean, there's a major ecological footprint for everything that we consume. So I think as the world changes, I think people's spending patterns are gonna change. You're listening to Banking on Girls, the podcast that explores the importance of financial literacy for girls and young women. And I'm your host, Marina Batmiwala. Join me on this journey to uncover insights and inspiration. Hi everyone, my guest today is my hiking buddy, Katrina Johanton, who also happens to be the Executive Director of the California School Finance Authority, where since 2000 she has overseen the development of the state and federal charter school grant and loan programs. Under her leadership, the California School Finance Authority has dispersed over $4.5 billion to nonprofit borrowers for educational facilities and student housing. Katrina is an innovative leader serving at the helm of this state agency, which is housed within the California State Treasurer's Office. Prior to joining the California School Finance Authority, Katrina worked eight years in the public finance sector. She graduated with a bachelor's degree in political science and government from the University of California in Los Angeles and has three sons. Katrina, welcome. Hello, Marina. So nice to be here. I've been hearing about your podcast on the trail for so many months, and it's an honor to be asked to participate. Okay, well, can't wait to share your story with everyone. Katrina, you've taken your expertise in banking and finance into the public sector. How did you end up in the public sector? What exactly does your job entail now? Okay, great question, Marina. And before we get started, I just wanted to highlight that the views that I'm going to do today, are those are my personal views and not those of the state treasurer's office. So investment banking was something that I kind of fell into when I returned from Europe. After graduating from UCLA, I moved to Paris and traveled around Europe, had jobs, moved home in 1993, and again, kind of fell into investment banking. I was hired to work on proposals and graphics in an investment banking firm, Donaldson, Lepkin, and Jenrette, and changed firms with a number of colleagues, you know, public finance kind of went out of favor and more M&A work and mergers and acquisition work kind of took over. So in 2000, I got a call from a colleague that said the state treasurer was looking for an executive director to oversee the California School Finance Authority. And so I was like, hmm, this is interesting. My dad was a civil servant for over 45 years and always said civil service is affords a really great work-life balance, you know, in California and across the U.S. Most public sector jobs come with great benefits as well as pensions. And so I was like, you know, that's kind of interesting, but I always enjoyed getting a nice bonus as an investment banker. And so I interviewed with a lot of people and was appointed as an executive director of the California School Finance Authority. As I discerned about the position, you know, I was looking at giving up a bonus annually versus a pension, you can kind of do that math, you know, do you have the fiscal stamina and wherewithal to put away your bonus every year to have that, you know, 
money at the end of your career that would be equivalent to a pension. And then I was also looking at kind of the work-life balance. Investment banking is a grind. You know, you eat what you kill. As I was, you know, moving up in investment banking, I was a vice president and the responsibility of bringing in revenue, you know, earning bonuses for your team, it was going to be grueling as a new mom, you know, knowing that you have to be on the road three to four days a week. It was just, uh, you know, for me, it was a very easy decision when I did it. This job is not a nine to five job, you know, being an executive director, I'm an exempt employee. I enjoy the innovation it affords me. But, you know, again, it's been a really great work-life balance. And the trade-off, I think, has been one that has benefited my entire family. I missed a few concerts at school because I had board meetings. I missed a few playoff games. But again, as a working mom, I wouldn't trade it. So a large part of your work is with charter schools. And I think for people who live outside California or outside the U.S., can you tell us what is a charter school? How is a charter school different from a regular public or government school? Sure. So in the, you know, 80s and early 90s, there was a big debate and there still is a big debate. You know, what's the best school to send your child to? What's the best kind of construct of providing education to children? And so there, you know, in Washington, in the early, late 80s, early 90s, there was a big debate about affording everyone, every family, a voucher for each child And they could take that voucher and go to a private school, a public school. And so the advent or creation of charter schools was kind of the compromise. So charter schools are publicly funded schools. They're tuition free. They have to accept all students. Most have waiting lists. They are publicly funded, but privately run. They're run by nonprofits. They have nonprofit boards. They're held accountable to all the different metrics that a traditional school would be held to. And so they serve in California, charters serve about 10 to 11 percent of all public school students, which is about six million. And so it's just been, you know, charter schools have been a choice for parents in California since 1993. So 30 years, a generation and a half, you know, they've grown in size and scope. We finance typically the educational facility piece. So charters, unlike traditional schools, they have to pay for their facilities out of pocket. We've applied for federal grants. We've applied for eight federal grants and received federal funding for charter school programs. We issue tax-exempt debt into the capital markets, totaling about $3.3 billion for charter school educational facilities. And then we administer a number of state programs for charter school facilities. So Katrina, you are dispersing literally billions of dollars. California is a huge state. You just said there are 6 million students. It's a huge state. How did you grow up thinking about money? What were some of your childhood influences when it comes to money and managing money? I think, you know, intrinsically we were raised, we didn't have a lot, but what we had was very high quality and very well cared for. I don't know if my parents paid cash for everything, but there was a lot of saving. You know, everything was kept in its original box. My mom still has camping gear in the original box. And so, you know, my parents are not American. We're first generation. My mom is from Ireland. She lived through World War II in London during the the bombings. She moved back to Ireland and then to Canada and then to Pasadena. My father was born in 1927. In Singapore, during World War II, he was in a boarding school in Shanghai. 
and they had British passports. So my dad, his brother, my grandfather, and my step-grandmother were put in a Japanese internment camp. So when my dad was released, they moved here. He joined the army. He met my mom in Pasadena. They're still married. And so our values weren't really about, or culture wasn't really about our rich, you know, Irish background or all the places my dad lived in Southeast Asia, but rather the three of us, me and my sisters, and the youngest of three, we were raised to get good grades, be good people, and be good Catholics. <laughs> and so that was really what kind of shaped my upbringing. It was, you know, kind of the American dream, if you will, move to the suburbs, go to good schools. Now all three, me and my sisters can support our families. We don't need to, but we could. And, you know, my sisters remember me always being a saver. I know now that I was, but, you know, it wasn't something that I think I set out to do. I think it just felt right to save. And then I, growing up, I kind of watched my oldest sisters spending extending credit, taking on more debt. And so I paid my way through college. I mean, I just you know had two jobs during college because I didn't want that debt. So it's just something that, you know, I hope I'm instilling in my sons, you know, but I don't know yet. They're too young in terms of taking on debt. That's really interesting that, you know, siblings from the same family can have sort of different outcomes, such different outcomes in terms of attitude towards possibly debt and savings. What do you think are some of the most important money lessons you have learned? I mean, the world we live in today, it's hard to, we kind of know what, where we are today as a planet because of consumerism. And I don't want to get too existential, but it's hard to have a lot of things and feel okay to keep consuming when it's not good for our homes, you know, where do we put all this stuff? Our planet. I mean, there's a major ecological footprint for everything that we consume. So I think as the world changes, I think people's spending patterns are going to change. I know my kids go thrift shopping. You know, they like to buy clothes that are used probably for the character, but I mean, they cost a fraction of the price. So I also think that it feels good to save for something and earn it it feels so much better to kind of save and earn for, you know, earn something rather than just put it on a credit card. We've talked about this a lot on this show, but a lot of money attitudes really have to do with your values. And I think that's what you're articulating now in terms of not getting into debt for things that you can't afford right now, sort of delaying gratification, being really aware of the environment, you know, when it comes to things like disposable fashion or disposable anything. So those are really good things to be aware of. And I'm sure you're passing all that down to your sons. I think one of my sons is a bit parsimonious. I'm like, that wasn't the message I was sending, but I was not a big, let's go get a treat after school mom. I'm like, let's go home and make something healthy. And so, you know, I'm watching my kids grow up and Again, my middle son tends to be a bit more parsimonious. He doesn't ask us for money. He's in college. He works to feed himself, you know. So it's just been interesting to kind of watch how at least our grown boys are kind of spending, you know, reviewing what they have in the bank and the decisions they're making. Well, that sounds like success to me, Katrina. I mean, I think that's what everyone would want would be a child that is able to be independent or become independent by that age. Yeah. So what do you know now that you wish you had known when you were younger? 
I think, you know, basic financial literacy, I know it's such an important topic. I believe there was a bill passed in California where financial literacy is taught in schools. Our boys get their personal management merit badge, you know, as Boy Scouts. So I just, I really do think, you know, there's not enough room or time during the school day for all the extras, you know, social, emotional learning, financial literacy, but wouldn't it be great if you really could educate the whole child about things like, you know, dollars and cents. So, you know, I know it's great as they get older, but even younger, you know, I mean, it's just more money games or just about, you know, saving, giving back the 30, 30, 30. I know a lot of parents that if you save the $10, I'll put in $10. So just things like that to motivate kids to save. But, you know, again, there was not a, you know, a real course in financial literacy when I was growing up. So I think that would be really great. But there's so many competing interests for kids today. You know, it's fast fashion, it's consumerism, it's the right shoes. So it's really hard to compete with those influences, I think, you know, again, so I think that, again, as the world evolves, our attitudes about money and spending have to change as well. You mentioned 30, 30, 30. Can you explain what that is? Well, spending 30 or 33, getting to 100, spending 33, saving 33, and then donating 33. And however you want to slice it. I mean, it's a lot to expect a child to want to donate a third of what they just received. Maybe it's 10 or 20, and then you're allowing them to spend 20. My kids each have savings accounts, and then they have checking accounts, if you will, that they can access. I do think that, you know, creating a Roth or a 401k or a Roth IRA for them, you know, putting in the $100 a month until they can do it, you know, it's important everyone got that for their 18th birthday, except, you know, Ian, who's 14. So it's just a really great thing to just say, okay, now that you have a job, you need to put in $100 a month. And then just, you know, don't look at it until you're ready to retire at 50. Yeah. And you mentioned that there's just not enough time to get everything into school curriculums. But I think that's why it makes it so important as parents for us to do just that little bit for them when they're young. So at an age when they're so impressionable and you are so influential that uh, you're really developing these habits from a young age. And I think it's really easy for kids to spend money nowadays. If you have a phone, you can shop. And that to me is, you know, kind of scary. And so, you know, I still like Ian to have money to go and have lunch instead of a card because then you, you know, $15 is enough money to get lunch. And if it's not, you know, order less. So I still like cash because then you can actually see it versus again, you know, everything's so instantaneous. Yep. That is actually, you hit on the number one concern when I talk to mothers, that is their number one concern, spending with electronic payment methods. So you're not alone there. And even for me, I mean, I'll Venmo you. People want a teacher gift and you're like, but do boom, done. And it's great, but it's so easy. I mean, transactionally, it's great. You know, it's so much better than leaving a $20 bill for someone somewhere or a check, but it's just, it's really, really, really easy. To spend, yes. Spend, yeah. Yep. So finally, Katrina, what advice would you give people raising children and especially girls in today's world? Public sector jobs, government jobs, they're really important. I mean, we need smart leaders, you know, whether it's male or female, we need 
leaders. And again, you know, the way people are compensated in the public sector versus the private sector with bonuses and stock options, it's really, really hard to compete. But if you are civic minded, there's some really great opportunities like I had in state service and federal service and local service, the city of LA, the county of LA. I mean, they, you know, they all pay really, really well. They're looking for the best and the brightest. And so, you know, I do think there's a lot of honor and integrity in being a public servant. And again, it's been very rewarding for me. I have a great team. We've done really good work and I'm not done yet. So I think that would be the one thing to consider. And there's a lot of flexibility and a wide breadth of opportunity. It's not just finance, it's the environment, it's our court systems, it's, you know, anything that you might be interested, the arts, there's a lot of opportunity in the public sector. So that's terrific advice for parents, as well as for parents who are looking to show different career options to their children. Yeah. Katrina, you are doing uh, terrific work for California and for the children in California. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Banking on Goals podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate the podcast and be sure to hit subscribe or follow so you can receive notifications of new episodes. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and at bankingongoals.com. 